it is triggering. It's triggering not because you're not happy for them. They're your friends. You are happy for them. But it immediately brings you back to what you're trying to forget about your life. Hi, everyone. It's Olympic figure skater and broadcaster Tara Lipinski, and you're listening to Unexpecting. I started this podcast with my husband and now co-host Todd to bear it all about my untold five-year and often excruciating journey with infertility. The goal is simple, to take this taboo subject and demystify it, to normalize these important conversations, and hopefully to find answers. Nothing is off limits, and over the course of the series, we'll unpack my fertility mystery, the trauma we've endured, and hopefully offer those struggling alongside of us some valuable insight. So laugh and cry with us as we ride this unimaginable fertility roller coaster, hopefully toward a brighter day. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And if you know someone struggling with fertility, tell them about this podcast. Because our path might be different, but it doesn't mean we're lost. Hi, everyone. I'm Tara Lipinski. And I'm Todd Kapastashi. And you guys are listening to the fifth episode of Unexpected. Episode number five. Here we are. So I was actually chuckling to myself a couple moments ago right before we started because... You know, we like to infuse a little bit of humor into the podcast because, you know. You got to. If you're, when you're out of tears, you just got to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> right. We probably shouldn't be infusing this much humor into these subjects, but I think it's healthy for us to laugh about some of these things when we can. But I was chuckling to myself because it feels like on every episode, I, you know, my hosting In voice, your host voice, I have to sort of say, on the previous episode of Unexpecting, we whatever. And it's always this massively depressing thing. It's like, on the previous episode of Unexpecting, our dog got cancer. On the last episode of Unexpecting, we had a failed retrieval times two. <laughs> Todd almost died of, of a fever and his sperm is bad. On the last episode of Unexpecting, Tara stepped on a rusty nail and Todd contracted genital warts. It's like but, the worst possible things you could recap. Right, but I feel like, I feel like it's nice that we're able to laugh through a lot of it because I didn't know how we were going to do this. Because when you're looking at the subject material, it's just, it's Debbie Downer. (laughs) (laughs) And there are funny things that have happened during this journey that now we're kind of discovering because it didn't seem like in the moment there was a lot to laugh about. But No, but there were. And I think, you know, fertility is, or infertility is hard But if you really think about it, there are still so many amazing moments of just being alive. And we talk about this so often. And I always have to remind myself of those things. And look, I got you. We have have a lot of things to be grateful for. Yeah, and not to be too philosophical about it or existential, but, you know, life is sort of about just the journey and the people you're with on the journey and we're going through something. Going through a journey. Going through something, but, you know, it's, it's, it's life and... It's been interesting to go on with you. (laughs) I wouldn't want to go on it with anyone else. Thank you. So serious, Todd, now on the last episode of Unexpecting, we had some really bad news, obviously, with the miscarriage. And, you know, in the last episode, you got into detail about that. But we ended the episode kind of teasing this idea that Dr. Beck thought that endometriosis might be at play here in a more significant way than we thought may have been adding complications to pregnancy. Before we get to why she may have thought that, and we touched on this a little bit, I think, in the first episode or second episode, but if you can just explain to the audience kind of what endometriosis is and even your kind of experience with it. Endometriosis is a disease that is painful 
It is very painful and it can be silent where you don't have symptoms. But for the people that do have symptoms, it is a range of pain, but it can be debilitating. And essentially endometriosis is a disease in which cells similar to the lining of the uterus are found outside of the uterus in your pelvic region. It can be your ovaries, fallopian tube. The sister of endo is adeno, which affects your uterus, but it can be bladder. It can be anywhere in your pelvic region. So how can endo affect pregnancy? Well, I think it can affect pregnancy in a myriad of ways. Obviously, we know that endometriosis causes inflammation, which can cause complications, but there's a million different ways. It can affect the fallopian tubes. You can have endometriomas. So there's many ways that it can affect pregnancy. It's funny. I think a lot of people go through life sometimes with a specific disorder or something going on with their body. And for years, they just think, oh, well, I just feel this certain thing and I kind of get through my days. And just knowing your experience with endo, it kind of seems a little like that, right? Like you felt during your period, maybe you felt a certain way, but we're just like, ah, it's maybe it's just like normal cramping. And then it took you a long time, almost maybe until this fertility journey to really realize how bad it was? Is that 100%. And I think so many women that are eventually diagnosed with endometriosis feel the same way. And it is a long journey. On average, it takes 10 years to diagnose endometriosis. And there is a multitude of reasons why that happens. But I think in general, again, I, I believe people just think, oh, women have periods, give birth. There's going to be pain along with that you know, take a Motrin and you're not really listening to women who are feeling significant pain in their body or feeling something that just doesn't feel right. And that's why endometriosis for years, for 10 years till someone gets a diagnosis, they are in debilitating, life-changing pain sometimes. So just tell us about your experience with endo and the sort of pain associated with it. Well, what's interesting is I did not know that I had an issue. I did not know I had endometriosis for years and years and years. And if I look back, the pain started in my mid-20s and I didn't have the quote-unquote normal endometriosis symptoms or pain. A lot of women during their period will have heavy cramps, you know, heavy cycles, and I just had none of that. But what I did have... Well, what did you have, Tara? <laughs> I I had butt pain. And what's funny... The dreaded butt pain. I What's funny, Todd, is I every time I would get that stabbing pain, I would think, damn, Tara, you did way too many triple lutzes and fell on your tailbone way too many times. And look what you caused. Now, the rest of your life, your tailbone's going to be messed up. Little did I know... I had endometriosis this entire time. You call it the zing, right? The zing. Oh, it is like it stops you in your tracks. And it's it it's not fun. <laughs> so back to Dr. Beck and what she had said after the miscarriage about endo. What what had led her to believe that now endo might be affecting pregnancy? Well, I think we were connecting all these data points at this point. And we realized that I had just become pregnant and we found out that it was a genetically normal embryo. And that is a big part of the puzzle that I think was missing because of course she suspected I had endo, but a lot of times endo doesn't always affect someone getting pregnant. They can have endometriosis and get pregnant, have a healthy birth, no infertility issues, 
And then on the other hand, there can be someone with the smallest amount of endo that affects their fertility. And I think she realized now after she saw, okay, we we suspect she has it. We've seen some issues through the retrievals. Now we just had a pregnancy with a completely normal, genetically normal embryo. That, and you mentioned this, that puts us in a very small category because genetics, chromosomal abnormalities is usually one of the main reasons for miscarriage. So now we're left with a very small subset category of what could it be? So it made complete sense. It's got to be the endometriosis. So what was her advice for how we should deal with this? So her advice, which was hard for me to hear, because like I said, at this point, I was ready to get pregnant again. I I wanted 30 days from now to be ready to go. And it was, you know, the phone call of, okay, we need to get you into a surgery. We need to do endometriosis surgery. Then we need to recover for two months before we go into another retrieval. And when I heard that, I just, I just was so sad because A, I was terrified of the surgery and B, the time that it was going to take, I just, I was thinking, how am I going to wait this long? And also another endometriosis topic, there's not that many excision specialists in the country and you want to make sure you have that surgeon. So we knew which surgeon I was going to go to, Dr. Orbuck in Los Angeles, and we we waited to, to get on the list. And those two months, oh, it was a long wait. I was counting down the days, like big red X's on the calendar every day. Why was that so hard just wanting to get back to our process of retrievals and... Wanting to be pregnant again. Once you tasted it, you just wanted it again and you wanted to try at it. And I think the saddest part is you wanted hope. Really what that is, it's not that, oh, I needed to be pregnant two months sooner than I would have been. It's more, I need something to hold on to. I know the answer to this. (laughs) And the answer is terrified, but how worried were you about this specific surgery? Oh, Todd, you know this. Like, (laughs) I was terrified of this surgery. Well, I should say too, I mean, even me, who kind of a little bit easy, more easygoing with kind of the health stuff and these things, I would certainly not (laughs) want like sharp objects like in my stomach rectal. (laughs) Like, "Ah, I'll pass on that one. Well, the funny thing is, is I remember we, we talked about my fertility acupuncturist, Danica, and our very first meeting, I was telling her all my information, telling her some symptoms. She also had endometriosis, had surgeries for it. And she said, why don't we look into surgery? That might be a an avenue you want to research. And I remember looking at her like she had 10 heads. I was, I was like, Danica, there is no way I am ever doing that surgery. I will live with this pain. We know I'm not a risk taker. There's a lot of risk with this. And I did not want to do the surgery. Well, <laughs> this is getting a little graphic, but I, I find this really funny for some reason. Like you just have... This is why I love you, obviously. <laughs> no, you have like, you get like kind of fixated sometimes on certain things and you'll repeat them a lot. In this case, you got really, really fixated. And this isn't funny, but you got really, really fixated on what you called the bag. Like you didn't want to, obviously no one would love to go to the bathroom in a bag for the no. rest of their life. But one of the complications of this surgery could be something with the bowel. So you literally, have, yeah, you have to you sign use off. the term 
the bag <laughs> about 800,000 times in like a one month period where we we're talking about the surgery because you did not want the bag. Wet. I did not <laughs> want it. We should title this episode The Bag. <laughs> I did not want it. But, you know, that's what is crazy about endometriosis, endometriosis surgery. It is a laparoscopic surgery, which is great, but they are going everywhere in your your pelvic region. It's horrifying. It's yeah. horrifying. And you have to sign off on so many things. And I remember Dr. Orbach uh, called me and she said, today is not going to be a fun meeting. This is the worst meeting you'll have with me. I can't wait to see you six weeks post-op. And believe me, I had to buckle up for this meeting at, at least seven times. I was, Dr. Orbach, I don't think it's, for, I can't do it. You have to go through hundreds of things you sign off on. Signing off on the bag. Signing, <laughs> signing is that off. The ter- is that what the terms they I don't they think use? that was the term, but it was pretty much, that's what you're signing. Yeah. Signing off for your bladder. Signing off. I mean, they took my appendix. Sign, you just sign off all your organs. It's like here, every oh organ in your, your midsection, we could mess up by accident. It's like a skydiving waiver almost. We're just yes. like, ah, this, I could die here, but I, I want to do it. And we know how I am. This was This was not something I was very comfortable with. So at this point, you know, when you sign that waiver, is it running through your head of like, oh man, like I would do anything for a kid at this point. If I'm signing away all of this, it probably was a wake up call, not a wake up call, but just a reminder of like, man, I'm going to do anything for this. I would do at that point, I would have done anything. And believe me, as the journey goes on, I really, I, I really proved to myself that I would do anything for a potential child. And it was interesting because like I said, I mean, we laugh about me being health conscious or having health anxiety. You know, there is no way I would have just signed off everything as easily as I did. And at the end, all I kept asking her was, do you think this will help me get pregnant? And that was my main prerogative and goal with this. Yeah, which is always, and I've said this a lot, which is just sad because it's, it is desperation. It's like, desperate. I, I, oh, you're going to like, maybe remove half the organs in, in this area of my body. Yeah, do it. Well, Whatever you got to do. Do it. Like I want, I want a baby. Exactly. I was at this point, this was my hope and, and everything was riding on the surgery. And to be honest, I really, for the first time, you know, sometimes I can be a little more realistic than you are or just waiting for those answers. I'm always jumping ahead. This was the first time where it all made sense. All the puzzle pieces perfectly fit. And I thought, this is it. Damn, we're getting pregnant now. We're just going to fix this. I just got to get through the surgery. Hopefully I don't die and we're good. (laughs) One other interesting thing about this surgery, and you had mentioned the sister disorder to endo, which is adenomyosis, um, which is a little more severe in a certain way, right? For pregnancy, it can be a huge complication. There's treatment options, which are, you know, not easy. There's a drug that will put you into medical menopause, which as you can imagine, it's not fun to instantaneously go into that. And there are a ton of side effects that, believe me, the Google black hole, I went down them on this subject. And this medication, definitely just hearing stories, hearing, you know, people that had lifelong issues. There's a lot of side effects, whether it's brittle bones. And I mean, the list goes on. And um, I was very nervous about this, this possibility of having that as well. So one little funny aside of adenomyosis is, you know, we've gone through this five-year journey. 
It's been very, very difficult and awful. You would think some at some point during that five-year period, there would just be by chance, because we're going through this journey, the, the universe would reward us in some tiny way for having to go through all this. <laughs> and I feel like I almost had it and it slipped away from me. Do you know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. So Tara... Let me preface this by saying I'm a huge NBA fan. Huge. Love and the I NBA. love it too. Yeah. I used to work, you know, when yeah, I was at ESPN, I worked on the fan. NBA and I just like love. Played basketball, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so huge NBA fan, huge, honestly, Dwayne Wade fan. Just like, I mean, what's there not to love? love. Yeah, exactly. A great player and seems like a cool person, yes. et cetera, et cetera. So we don't go out that often without each other, but you went to dinner with, I guess you were with friends yes. without me. Yes. And of course this happens without me. Yes, is it happens. You see- Gabrielle Union. Gabrielle Union, who the reason we bring up the story is she was dealing with all these issues we're talking about, right? right? She actually went to Dr. Beck at the latter point of her journey to be diagnosed and um, move on to surrogacy. But she has been very open about her struggles with adenomyosis. And I clung on to every single word. Anything that she spoke about, I was so invested in her journey. She was so open, so honest. Again, it's what we all talk about, just yeah. finding someone. She was like your hero. She she was my hero. So of course, you see her and you And I talked about her, her. Con uh, constantly, right? So there was no way I wasn't going to one see other, her. One other funny thing to say about you, which I love this, is that like you are a public figure who gets recognized mm -hmm. and, you know, takes pictures occasionally right. and that sort of thing. So you would think you would feel like, oh, here's this like celebrity that I kind of like, like, I'll just leave him alone. Like I wouldn't want to be bothered in that way. You do not give a fuck about that. <laughs> you will rush whoever you want to take a picture but with. You know talk what's interesting? With. Do you ever notice this? It's very specific people because there could be like the biggest celebrity star that comes in and I won't even look over. But if it's something that me like, you know, Dave Matthews. Greg, oh, Matthews. Greg, Greg from, from Succession. Succession. Yeah, you bum-rushed all these people. I don't know if you're going to be embarrassed if I mention oh, no. this, but do you remember we were eating dinner recently and you saw one of your, like, this girl on Instagram? Oh my God, I love her. Lauren Ireland. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't, no offense to Lauren Ireland. I don't know who that is, but you like our, our dinner was ruined. Absolutely ruined. Cause her. she was two tables over and you, every four <laughs> seconds you'd say, Todd, can I, just, outfit. can I just go over there? Is that weird? Can I just yeah, go you over wouldn't there? let me go over well, there. People, she was like chowing down on pasta. I'm like, leave I, this person see, this alone. This is the thing. How many people have I really gone up to in our relationship? Five? Every person that you find strange, interesting. Yes, it's a very strange <laughs> mixture. Well, if Lauren Ireland's listening to this, like you'll make, like, I mean, I don't know if you guys want to set up like a lunch date or something. We should set up a lunch date. Tara would be. I wanted to go over and my husband 100% prevented me from doing that. But anyways, I, um, by the way, Lauren Ireland is, <laughs> she is no, one of the no. co-founders of Summer Fridays, which is really great. Um, but- Tara's now plugging her <laughs> stuff so she can be friends with her. <laughs> so listen, so I see Gabrielle Union and I just know I have to meet her. So I was intimidated a little bit, not much, as you know, I just kind of do these things. No, but she was at this big table, 12 people kind of tucked away, clearly not wanting to be bothered. But I just felt like she's going to be okay if I come tell her why I wanted to say hi. So I just got the courage. I walked over. And what's so crazy too, when you, you speak about Dwayne Wade, I love him too. I don't remember anything. I didn't even look at him. 
didn't even, the star of the show was Gabrielle Union. She was just like a halo of light surrounding her. And oh my God, she was an angel. I went up to her and I thought I could keep it together. But I just said, I'm so sorry for bothering you. But I, you know, have followed your story. You've been so open. You have made me feel so not alone. And I'm just you know, I just needed to come say hi. And I gave her like a little tidbit of what we were going through. She took both my hands, looked into my eyes. Like I will cry because it looked into my eyes and she talked to me. It was like, she genuinely understood what I was going through, had so much compassion, was able to say the right things to give me hope to, I just looked at her and she was hope to me. She was everything. I imagined her to be. And the saddest part is I, she gave me a big hug. Okay, so let me interrupt you. So this is, shout out to Gabrielle Union. Very <laughs> sweet, very sweet story, Tara. I'm glad that, you know, you felt loved and supported in that moment. Yeah. That's not the point of this story. The point the is point, that, you, I the, know. The point of this story is, while you guys were having that beautiful <laughs> moment, do you know what I could have been doing? <laughs> Talking to motherfucking Dwayne Wade, and I would and have had something it. to talk. Like I know, I, I could have been like, "Hey, man, Endo sucks, huh?" <laughs> man, endometriosis, brutal. Right? Oh my goodness. Maybe, maybe we could go on a uh, double date: Lauren Island, Dwayne Wade, me and you. <laughs> Wouldn't this that is be great. fun? <laughs> One other thing with these sorts of surgeries is that I, I think you mentioned this actually too. Is like you kind of have to find like good people who specialize in this because, well, you can talk about this more than I can, but certain women think they have this issue and then they get it like lasered off or they go to someone who misdiagnoses it. So this is like a tough thing to not only identify, but to rectify, right? 100%. And you want to find an excision specialist. And as I mentioned, those are rare. And someone who is doing this surgery day in and day out just for endometriosis. A lot of OBs will do this surgery. They'll use ablation techniques, um, you know, lasering off these endolesions. And you really want them um, to be excised. So when you do this laparoscopic surgery, there's these little robotic scissors that are actually hopefully getting all of those lesions and endospots out of your body. I mean, this also leads, again, probably 10 podcasts are are done about this topic, but just like level of care. And then you start to get into, you know, women of color sort of like not getting the care that they need um, disproportionately. And but like in this or case- Or having their pain heard. Exactly. That That's what I was getting at is, you know, you go into a doctor and say, oh, I have this pain during my period. And they're like, oh yeah, like you're a woman, you have You have a period, you, you give birth, like yeah. pay, take a Motrin. That is just- like that's a part of this. That is a part of this. And 176 million people have endometriosis. And I think that that is just an astounding number to realize so many people are living with this disease, not getting diagnosed and not getting the care that they need. So the surgery comes, you have the surgery, you wake up. Um, what do you remember about what they told you when you woke up or the success of the surgery? Well, the funny thing is, is I remember being in the haze of anesthesia and I really was concerned about adeno and if I might have it. And obviously the surgeon's in there looking at your uterus. And I remember I asked the nurses, 
so many times, do I have adeno? And I was probably so out of it. And I remember one one nurse being like, you asked me this 12 times. We're going to have to wait for the doctor. Well, I, not to interrupt you, but one of my, also, I feel like this podcast is good because I, I get to tell you all my favorite things oh, about you. That's sweet. One of my favorite things during this process was like your hate, like drug hazes when you wake up. Because especially the retrievals, you'd be like, TK, I got 12 eggs. <laughs> 12. I wish I got 13 <laughs> eggs, but I've got 12 eggs. I got, I think one's a golden egg. <laughs> you were so I was funny. So, I think you have you video would, of one of them. I have a bunch of videos oh of you gosh. just like high yeah. as a kite and, and just disappointed at how many eggs you got. But I think I did a pretty good job. I did my best. <laughs> <laughs> They're really oh good. So goodness. I can imagine, and those. you just repeat yourself a lot. Over, so I can imagine yes. these people are like, okay, I, I'm a, I'm like, I'm like the janitor. I can't tell you if you have <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. A, adenomyosis yeah, or not. Like, nothing I can do for you. <laughs> but I then eventually talked to Dr. Warbuck. I was like, just give it to me in layman terms because I'm not really up on all of my endo terms. So what was it? And she just said, you were covered in endo. And I was like, really bad? And she's like, well... You didn't win the gold medal, but it was bad enough for you to be on the podium and get a silver medal. So, and you were probably disappointed. You're like, oh fuck, I didn't. I'm not a gold medalist no, in endo. This was the first time I, I was like, no, man. Redo I, the surgery. Yeah, redo the surgery. <laughs> Find more. No, I wanted to actually be on the opposite end of the scale. Yeah, and I, I think it's worth pointing out here too that many women get pregnant with endo and don't even have the surgery and get pregnant fine. So this wasn't like a black and white case of like, okay, they're saying Tara's covered in endo. I don't know for me, I'm trying to think back on the moment whether I thought like, oh, covered in endo, that's a good thing. That means like, this is our problem. And if they remove all this endo, then we're going to be good. But it's not as cut and dry. People, women can have pregnancies, successful pregnancies with endo. Right, you could have one spot of endo and it could cause you so much pain and cause complications. Or you could be covered in endo and get pregnant and have zero pain. So it really isn't a clear-cut answer. But I do believe, again, with our little data points, this was the very hopeful answer for us. And on the journey, as we've talked about, you were the optimistic one and I was the realistic one. And this time, though, you know, I would give percentages like 5%, Todd. It's We have a 10% chance of this working. I'd be like 85. Yeah. <laughs> and this time, I was like 90%. I This is it. We're going to be pregnant in a few months. Yeah, I mean, it made sense because, okay, we had one good retrieval, so we could make our own embryos that were genetically normal. Then we have a pregnancy where it's a it got tested and it was also genetically really normal. normal. So it seemed to be sort of a post-embryo issue. Right, and it made sense with maybe why we struggled with, you know, some of the retrievals because there was inflammation. It just felt like it all was making sense. And I was so excited to have this fresh start. So what was our next step then for fertility? So then our plan was two months, we would have to recover from the surgery and then we would was killing me. I mean, it just was like counting down the days. Um, And then we would immediately go into another retrieval and see how the surgery affected that. And now a quick word from our sponsors. My hope is this podcast can shed light on information that can make your own road to baby an easier journey. Unexplained infertility can be uniquely frustrating as we know. 
miscarriages, or failed IVF treatments can be devastating. My husband and I struggled to find answers to why my own pregnancies did not continue. And after my second pregnancy loss, we turned to Receptiva DX, and it gave us some answers. I personally have an endometriosis diagnosis, which puts me at a much greater risk to have inflammation on my uterine lining, which can jeopardize pregnancy. So taking this test, which detects inflammation on the uterine lining, gave us a clear plan of action. I also had a laparoscopic surgery to treat my endometriosis, and subsequently, my Receptiva DX result was negative. This result gave us clarity on at least one part of our puzzle— and helped us move forward in a clear direction, knowing I did not need specific treatment for this negative result. Time is priceless on this journey, and I hope that Receptiva DX can give you the timely answers you and your family may need. To learn more, go to ReceptivaDX.com. Okay, I want to intro you to Kat Schneider and her story of how the company Ritual was born. She was pregnant, building a business from scratch, and couldn't find a prenatal that she trusted. So what did she do? She created an incredible company called Ritual and made it a success. The attention to every detail in the making of this high quality prenatal formulation is something women can rely upon, knowing they are getting the nutrients needed during this meaningful time. That trust is key. And as you've heard throughout our own podcast, it was so important for me to research and feel confident that anything added into my daily regimen was something I trusted. I personally found and loved the Essential for Women prenatal. I love that it contained 350 milligrams of vegan sustained source omega-3 DHA, which is crucial for baby brain development, plus a high quality formulation with crucial ingredients that made me feel like all of my prenatal vitamin bases were covered. So why settle for a multivitamin you're not 100% sure about? Ritual was literally built on trust, so you know it's the real deal. Ritual is offering my listeners 30% off during your first month. Visit ritual.com slash Tara to start Ritual or add Essential for Women Prenatal to your subscription today. This is kind of unrelated to your surgery and, and kind of where we stood with our fertility journey at this point. But, you know, it's worth pointing out that we're, I guess, like a year and a half into our journey mm-hmm. And, you know, one big topic that we haven't touched on yet fully is this idea that other people we're friends with, family members, friends, best friends are, while we're going on this journey, having kid one, having kid two, they're sort of blowing past us in a certain sense. And I think the question, I guess, for you and the discussion sort of jumping off point is just how hard is it for someone going through fertility to see their best friend just get pregnant? It's really hard. It's it's watching someone start a phase of their life that you fear you'll never experience yourself. And I think there was a learning curve for me in these feelings. And I think this is also something that should be shared amongst women so there isn't shame around having these feelings. But it is triggering. It's triggering not because you're not happy for them. They're your friends. You are happy for them. And I felt that excitement for them when they would say, I'm pregnant. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, there's going to be a cute little you running around. And But it immediately brings you back to what you're trying to forget about your life. You're trying to go on with your days while you're waiting for appointments and waiting for results. And it reminds you that I may never have this. And 
it also makes you feel like infertility directly picked you, picked you to be the one that, Tara, maybe this isn't going to happen for you. I'm sure you noticed this this process I went through because in the beginning I felt bad. I was like, oh my God, are my friends going to think that I'm just like jealous or are they going to think that I'm a bad person? Or sometimes you hear someone say like, oh, you know, even if I struggle with infertility, like I love seeing my friends happy and I just love being happy for them. So it doesn't affect me. And you think, wait a minute, does that make me a bad person that I don't want to show up at every baby shower or, you know, be triggered by these moments that remind me it has nothing to do with you or if I'm not happy for you because I am. It's just finding those boundaries of what can I emotionally take? Like I'm barely getting through my days. I see babies on TV and I'm, you know, like crying, thinking like, Todd, will we ever have that? And it took me a while going to therapy and talking to a therapist who really explained to me, Tara, you've got to you've got to put boundaries down for your mental health, and you can explain why, and you can be supportive. But is it's completely okay to have these feelings? So one other thing that I know you're going to be a little fired <laughs> fired up about is you have kind of this running list of things that people say. And look, let me preface this by saying, Let's like. Preface. Our friends are awesome. People out in the world never mean to, oh, God, to no. say the wrong thing. It's just like, I was this person five years ago. Like, I didn't, I was know, too. I didn't know what to say to a oh, person going person. through fertility me, or me too. whatever. 100%. But there is now, we realize this list of things that, again, we were guilty of saying these things five years ago to people probably. But there's these list of things that people like to say because they don't know what to say. Well, I think it's interesting that we're, yeah, they're maddening, but I think it's interesting we're having this conversation because it feels like you guys are just like in on a, a dinner we're having with a glass of wine, just talking about it. Because like you said, no one, whether it's a stranger or a friend, is purposely trying to say the wrong thing. And especially if you haven't experienced it yourself, it's really hard to know what to do. But then at the same time, we're drinking our wine at night being like, what did we just get well, the, told? The, yeah, the biggest thing is, to, for me, I don't know about for you, but my biggest thing is the like, just relax. Like when you're least expecting it, it's going to happen. Oh. And my uh, the obvious response to that is like, guys, these... Like people going through fertility, this is like a medical issue and problem. There's either like a sperm issue. There's someone has endo, someone has, you know, there's a, a million things that people struggle with and reasons why they can't have kids. Like it's relaxing is not, not the, issue. the answer. It's, it is a biological <laughs> medical issue. So like DOR is diminished ovarian reserve. That is a woman with less follicles and eggs than normal. Okay, so do you think going to Cabo for the weekend, relaxing, coming back, all of a sudden she's going to go to her scan and have 25 yeah, follicles? No, no amount of relaxation is fixing that. You wouldn't tell someone with a, you know, a serious disease. You know what? You know what your answer is? <laughs> you got to relax. You're too stressed. You're too stressed. But also- well, you were, well, it's tough for you too, because you were as many people going through this are. I mean, again, we talk about the differences for us and like I probably internalized more and didn't show like the outward stress as much as you did. But I feel like for you too, when you go to friends or family, people you did open up to, they could probably see that you're distressed Stress. as you should be. So I think some people then would be like, oh man, like- 
Tara's so stressed. I wanna, she and just I bet you anything, people probably thought that. And that was frustrating too, because I mean, I asked Dr. Beck at one point, she just looked at me and laughed and she's like, Tara, if stress was the reason for infertility or miscarriage, I would be out of a job. And she was, her, her answer was definitive. And, you know, I just immediately was like, okay, but it's true. You feel at fault. Cause, cause a lot of times someone will say, oh my goodness, I know someone who went through years of infertility and then they stopped and they had a kid naturally. And so how do you not feel at fault? All of a sudden in my head, I'm thinking, well, A, I don't really want to hear about that because that's not me. We haven't had that luck. Two, also we, like, are you kind of saying because I'm not relaxing or because I must be too focused on this and then the moment I don't think about it, it's going to happen? then that must mean I'm causing this. Like I'm the one that's causing the miscarriage. I'm the one that's putting us in this position. And that's an awful feeling to feel. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the other things that people say sometimes in these situations is, oh, well, you can still adopt, which we've talked about this on the podcast. Clearly adoption is so amazing in so many ways. I'm doing this currently, this Golf Channel piece on this Ukrainian orphan who was adopted from the Ukraine, kind of saved out of there. Now he's like this one-armed golfer. It's just like an amazing story. And so one of 10 million amazing adoption stories. So yeah, it's adoption's awesome. And it's, it's a, it's an option, but like, you're not telling us anything we don't know. We know we can adopt and there is a grieving process when you finally do realize potentially that you can't have genetic children and that's okay. I just think for various reasons, no one should ever say that. A, even if you are on the path to adoption, saying that to someone is is like crazy. Do you know how hard adoption is? There's not always a, an easy answer for that either. So I think like that is a throwaway comment that people really should stop saying. And then it's also like for a situation like ours, we are in this, we know all of our options. Believe me, it's not like we haven't thought of all of our options or know all of our, like what we're diagnosed with. And for us, we are able to make our own genetic embryos. We have other issues. So saying that is just adding, you know, another question where then you have to explain, uh, let me explain exactly what we have going on here. And it's, it's yeah, it's, it's probably something people shouldn't say. So back to our journey, we are approaching our fifth retrieval after your endosurgery. Um, it's October of 2020. Um, what did you feel like was on the line of this retrieval? I was so hopeful for this retrieval, but I felt like we had some iffy <laughs> results on our last retrievals and never really knew what to expect every time we went into one. So this time I was very hopeful to see Are we going to get better results with the endometriosis surgery? And this is our chance to actually do what we set out to do with IVF and to get insurance. And this, it should be pointed out again, October, 2020, we've talked a little bit about, you know, COVID and, and Dublin, you know, getting cancer and sort of how isolating COVID was, but we didn't really get into it. And I think this is for me, Honestly, and this is, I know, I don't want this to sound dramatic. This was one of the hardest periods, I think, yeah, in you my struggled. life. Yeah, you struggled. Because, you know, it felt like we took COVID very, I think even without any fertility stuff, we would have probably just taken COVID very seriously. We were those kind of people mm-hmm. who really didn't want to get right. it, were concerned about right. it, um, kind of really stayed in the house right. and didn't have a lot of other human contact. Yes. Add into that, 
fertility that we were scared about how COVID would affect pregnancy, right. all of that stuff. We were very, very for months. And I mean, I would say there was probably a good year period where we were in the house. We were only talking about fertility together. We were both stressed and upset about it. It was, it wasn't fun. <laughs> it wasn't fun. And actually it just gave me chills to think about it. And I bet a lot of people in our surrounding circle didn't understand why we were so closed down. And I think they probably thought, oh, Tara's afraid of COVID. But little did they know this was actually, that thought was on the back burner. It was just, and people know when they're in it and they're going to these appointments and they have these procedures set up. We didn't want to miss out on that surgery date that we waited two and a half, three, four months for. You know, you don't want to go in for a retrieval that you're spending all that money on and they send you home. So there was high stakes for us. You know, and even more than that, you know, everyone in the world was going through something that was like really disorienting, mm -hmm. like just being at home, yeah. watching the news, trying to understand what COVID is, what you should yeah. do and don't do. Like that was life affecting for a lot of people. And you just throw, you know, our beloved dog is, is dying. We're taking him to chemotherapy appointments with 50 masks on. And that's, that's tough to do. And then we have all of these failures in fertility. We have you who's as you should have been. And again, this is another thing we can talk about, about my shortcomings where, you know, I, I struggled with the isolation and you were hyper-focused on making sure we didn't get COVID and we were safe. So like, we we're prepping for a competition, essentially. And yeah. you were being a very <laughs> lazy athlete sometimes. Well, it, well yeah. we have some funny stories about that too. I just remember I would, I, I'm not like a runner at all, but during COVID, I was like, I need to get out of the house and do something and maybe take up. Guys, I just have to note this. He's not a runner. You know, he is active, but it was like perfect timing that all of a sudden we're going through this. We get a Peloton. We become a runner in the heat. We sit on a bike, which we know we're not supposed well, but, to. <laughs> but the running wasn't your issue. This is the funny story I have about running is you would basically tell me if you see someone who's like in your path on the sidewalk. Cross the street. dart immediately <laughs> to the other sidewalk. And then I had to run, which was hard. You made me run. With, with a mask. We were two months into lockdown. And in Los Angeles, that was a hard lockdown. So yes, I remember you were like, do I have to wear them? And I was like, yes, you have to wear a mask for sure. And I, I think, again, this is just what we talked a lot about during COVID and struggled with maybe a little bit as a couple is just you wanting to control. And then me almost maybe feeling like a loss of control. Like you are dictating like, hey, we're we're This is house. what we're doing. We're, you're not using a Peloton. You will dart when you see another human being, right. if you're jogging with nine masks, like that's what it is. And I, again, with perspective, I understand it all when you're in the moment and you're like, oh my gosh, my life is like waking up and talking about fertility for eight hours and like doing a COVID puzzle. Right. And then, you know, having another loss and looking at my dog dying right. again, not to like, woe is us, but it was not. It fun. was, it wasn't fun. And I think like it's personality too. Right. And it's also, I do think the women are going through the appointments that's happening to their bodies. So there's just an extra layer added. But I think also for me, you can maybe blame it on skating a little bit because I do believe I was taught at a very young age to just give up fun if you want a result. So for me, yes, all of these, the isolation that it, it, it's awful, I guess, if you think about it, but it was so easy for me to give up in hopes of something else. But I will say this, we, we had our, what would we call them? Bumps in the road. Uh, getting on the same page here. But I do remember, I think it kind of clicked for you one day and this like warms my heart and you came up to me and I remember I was sitting in bed 
and you just came to me and you're like, you know what? I'm sorry. And if you want me to go outside and howl at the moon for the next 25 days while we do this retrieval, I will do it for you. Because at the end of the day, I knew all of the things I was trying to control so specifically. I mean, you can't be perfect. You know, you can't remove every toxin and everything that could go possibly wrong in life. But you want to control something so badly. It's like when I skated and I was so out of control, I did silly athlete superstitions. So it was the same thing. And I needed that. And I needed your support on that. And if anyone's listening, if you're a partner, jump in on that because it takes one less stress off of that person that's going through so much. Well, it's funny too, you just brought up toxins and and all that. We haven't talked about that yet, but you know, we became what I, what we like to together call a clean slash glass, glass family. family. Essentially, long story short is, you know, we changed, Everything. stopped using any toxic product. Well, no, I, let me explain the story. I remember this vividly. I read a book, it starts with an egg and it was, you know, really going into detail about everything regarding what you can do to clean up your lifestyle for fertility. And I remember wherever you were, you walked in the house and I had boxes. All of our things were gone. I took every plastic Tupperware, pot, pan, spatula, everything was just in boxes. And you're like, what, what, what are you doing? And I was like, don't worry. We have an Amazon order coming tomorrow. We are the glass family now. <laughs> and we also started like, this was my biggest thing that I struggled with is like doing laundry with essentially like water, we, like no, vinegar and no. water. I, have like, I Tara, ever used vinegar? Hey Tara, like you're a, a lady who always smells good. Like I'm a guy. And do you I not cannot like, wash my shirt. We are going to get water. into a fight on here. Do you not like the detergent? Now I'm no, not even going to bring I up don't. the detergent I because don't. I was going to just give a amazing plug for them because it's so amazing. It's not, it's not some homemade concoction. Well, here's the funniest thing. Is it's like amazing. The detergent says like put, you know, like a quarter cap. I put like nine caps in. Right. That's like, fine. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Well, that should be an indication that it's not working it, with a quarter cap. It's in your mind. You think you need nine caps. Put in nine caps. <laughs> Shout out to Branch Basics. <laughs> I love that. No, I know. I actually like the Branch Basics cleaning stuff. I, I Look, we're joking. I'm glad we did this. I think a lot of people can say like, oh, it's like, it's, it's a gimmick. It's expensive. And like all this, this stuff, like it doesn't really work, but- I don't know, man. Like it feels good, doesn't it? It does. I this makes me so happy, Todd. Just hearing you say this, and you've said it before, so it's not just on the podcast. But yes, we did a a, a real overhaul. And believe me, I just want to put this out here. I was not some you know clean, non toxic. No, person. you were the opposite. I was of. like, let's bleach. Chlor let's do all of the things with all of the fragrances, all of the add ons. That was me. So it's not like we've gone completely to a different spectrum where we're using just vinegar in life. We are, we have made different choices that I actually think I love. And you came to me one day and you're like, you know what? I actually like, like it. I'm, I'm glad we're doing this. And that was like, finally the pat on the back that I needed. Well, it's interesting too. Now that I, when I smell like strong cleaning product fragrances yes. or even like perfumes and stuff, I'm like, oh, oh like yep. the other thing again, <laughs> this is really speaking towards my kind of COVID misery is, and again, these are things that we had some bumps in the roads on was drinking. 
Uh, we gave up drinking for large, large stretches. Like and two years. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. I have, so I have in my notes here that I, I kind of, uh-huh. you know, help me guide us is bring up drinking and how much we like it without seeming like we have a problem. I don't know if we can do that. I, I think like now, once we, we start this topic, people may judge no, us. No, but I think most people who, uh, I don't even know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying gonna, to make an excuse. Okay. But most people who are just, are, I don't the know. Social drinkers. Most people we know have a few glasses of wine a few nights. A week. Every night. <laughs> <laughs> so guys, every single this night is just, they have a bottle or two of wine. No. This is, we do not have two bottles of wine. <laughs> no, no. I, I think we love I think we love to drink. Yeah, and then just the and social just aspect like, of it. And and also just yeah. at night, sitting down with a glass of wine. I mean, as you can tell, I probably need that at night just yeah. to wind down. Yeah, and we don't need to beat this point with a dead horse, but it was it was hard. It was hard like, oh, you know, like it's almost again like this like relaxation. You're in COVID. Let's have a glass of wine and like talk and laugh. And like we didn't have that. So again, compile our dying dog with like fertility, with COVID, like with all this stuff, with changing, we changed a lot of the things we ate with oh, yeah, we taking were. a handful of pills every night. So there was just this- The walnuts, remember? I like made oh, you, yeah. I made you eat walnuts all day long. Yeah. And the walnuts you got me were like, I joked that they had dirt all over them <laughs> because they were the most like organic. They were like just yes. pulled from the garden yeah, I out pulled, back. I pulled them outside <laughs> from the dirt. I remember that was speaking of the drinking, which is, you know- Again, we went to extremes and I don't think that's necessary, but I needed to. And I think also though, it's necessary if you want to do it. Yeah. And I think we talked about this is like when the Christmas um, that would happen this year, I just remember, you know, it's family and I love both of our families. So it's fun, but it's like, it's hard to spend two straight nights with your family on Christmas and be just dead sober. Well, it you, should be easy. To be honest, you need a drink to kind of yeah. liven up. <laughs> Imagine how I like how much better I'd be on this podcast if I if had were, like yeah. a few beers. Oh my god, it gets very funny. But yeah, I remember, you know, I think we had probably said like we're gonna we can have one drink. Right. And I just remember like Me. trying to pour like a quarter of a drink <laughs> and like looking across the room and seeing Tara just like staring at me, shaking her head. <laughs> like, well, oh, it was fuck. hard for me too, because I didn't want to take all the fun out of life. But and I didn't want to have to tell you like don't drink. I didn't want to be that wife of like, Todd, no, you know, that's just not my style. So instead in my mind, I'm like watching you pour it. I'm like, how much is he gonna drink? And, and then, then I'm I, like I look over and I I know. I just poured it back. Poured it back. Poured it back in. The last thing on this kind of COVID isolation, us having a a few hiccups was there is, there was during COVID this thing where you would go off to your appointments without me because I couldn't go in. And you had this like fertility life that I wasn't a part of. So it was hard. There was a disconnect there for us too, where you were going through all this stuff. And I was like, in on it, obviously, and we talk about it, but I wasn't really there for like the appointments and a lot of the conversations. So it felt like you were driving the bus. I had to be, you know, especially during COVID. But in general, I would say that I think a lot of people feel that way when they're going into these appointments, they're getting the numbers, they're getting the research, they're keeping track of everything, they're making the appointments, they're getting their medicine. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And, and, you know, I joke that you have very little to do, but you do. Like you have to wait till retrieval day and go in for five minutes. So I think that just ups the stakes for the person going through all that. And it makes it a lot harder for you to be consumed with these feelings that I feel because you're not actually confronted with them. I mean, the only advice I would give to to men or partners out there 
is just because I did struggle with the control part of it where you're telling me, take these pills, eat this, don't eat that, don't drink, like sprint across the street if you <laughs> yeah. see someone, you know, while you're jogging, like you can't do Peloton because you don't want your body hot. Like all of that stuff for me was, it was hard. It was hard to be told what to do at that age, but I would just tell, and, and I struggled with it. I didn't do the perfect job and I admit that. And I would just urge like any partner, the reason that, your partner is giving you those directives is because they are so scared and anxious mm-hmm. and they just want help. You know? Oh, TK. Yeah, that's such good advice. Yeah. Oh my God, are you crying? <laughs> We're cutting this out. <laughs> oh, TK. So entering our fifth retrieval, you know, both of us were obviously hopeful because your endo's gone. I mean, basically you had the surgery, you recovered in it. That can often prevent pregnancy. It can also, I think, you know, lead to complications with retrievals too. Like you'll have better, yeah. so you'll have better retrievals. So I think both of us were just like very excited to see like what was going to happen mm-hmm. with this retrieval. Exactly. Before we go to this retrieval, one other kind of funny thing I want to point out, and I talked about this actually in this episode, is your sort of stupor afterward. Um, you've kind of gotten a reputation for being a little probably too excited for the drugs that they give you in these retrievals. I love it. I I think it is. We've gone uh, from alcoholism to being Other uh, than embryos and pregnancy, the best thing about IVF is the anesthesia naps. And I know you guys that you know this. And the first one I was a little nervous. And then I was like, what am I nervous for? I cannot wait. I could not, I mean, Todd, I would get there. I would be like, is he here yet? And I, and we did so many retrievals. I knew all of them. I knew all of the doctors. And I was like, I would always have them come in. I'd be like, don't roll me in (laughs) and give me the medicine, you know, while I'm already on the table. Like, let's, you know, give me just something now to relax a little bit. So as we go in, I don't have to be stressed out. And I loved I loved my anesthesia naps. Yeah, and I think, you know, we're laughing because it is funny and you're not a drug addict and you just enjoyed it. But the sad, I I always say when you say something, I I feel like I always get this sort of like heavy heart because I know why you like that because you wanted a respite from the anxiety and the pain essentially. And that actually kind of reminds me too of like, you know, during this time you were struggling in general where like you stopped sleeping really well. Mm -hmm. Like you used to be... (laughs) One thing about Tara, man, when I first met you, you could sleep. You'd be out at, you know, again, a lot of couples go through this, but turn on a television show about eight (laughs) seconds in, I look over and she's like snoring. But like during this time, without fail, I'd just wake up at 3 a.m. to either go to the bathroom. I'd just wake up and I'd look over and you're on your phone. Like you didn't sleep. No, I didn't sleep. Something changed. I, I could have slept through an earthquake. And now I'm just that three o'clock, two o'clock hour. And then I don't know if I ever really get that good night's sleep, but it's just anxiety. And it's just like dealing with all of these emotions running through my head. And and it's right. I think those anesthesia naps, oh my goodness, for just a few seconds, I didn't even care. It'd be like, ah, I'm going into an egg retreat. Who cares if I get any eggs? <laughs> you know, you just have that moment yeah. of not worrying. Good thing it's very controlled and I only could... <laughs> Go there for retrievals. (laughs) Yeah. So the fifth retrieval, you're excited mostly for the anesthesia, but it's on November 7th, 2020. I always like to update people on just like kind of where we are and what year. Right. 
Um, so November of 2020, we do our fifth retrieval. Drum roll. What were the results of that retrieval? So, you know, we talk about opening that portal on day five. You want to see what embryos you get. And just the start of this retrieval was a whole different, whole different ballgame. I had, you know, I was dealing with 26, 28 follicles, double what I usually had in the other past retrievals, um, which I think, again, didn't realize the importance of this endosurgery. And my advice would be do the endosurgery first before going through the retrievals if you have the ability to. But 26 follicles growing, we got seven embryos on day five when I opened up that retrieval. And at that point, my hands used to shake when I would get to this point, you're waiting and I see the little text and I couldn't believe it. Seven embryos. This was night and day from any retrieval we ever did. Those guys go out to genetic testing and then I get the call that guys, out of seven embryos, six of them were genetically normal. Six were normal. And even the seventh one was like a bonus mosaic. So we crushed We it. crushed this retrieval. I, I still, the Olympics, getting married, special moments with my family, whatever Wait, date. Did you, did you say getting married? Yes. <laughs> okay, go on. Like our wedding day. Right. Like November, whatever this was, when we got the call, goes down and will always go down as one of the best days. Oh, one of. Uh, I thought you were going to say, oh, hey, no, no, in no, comparison. No, no, no. <laughs> one of the best days of my life, hands yeah. down. Dr. Beck called me that day and she's like, you did it. You're done with the retrievals. Five was your number. She's like, those results were like donor egg results. Congratulations. And I'm like, Dr. Beck, you're my hero. You, We call it the unicorn cycle because I think, you know, even Dr. Beck was like, this is insane. And it just was a turning point where I thought it was over. How could it not be? We have six embryos on ice. How could our, our journey not be over finally? And the one thing I just have to say here, I am thinking of every woman that's watching this and there are many people that cannot get six normal embryos. And I remember when my friend got six normal embryos, I couldn't understand it. And I couldn't imagine how that would feel. I just have to say like for all of those women listening, I almost feel bad in this moment to even say that we got that result. Um, because I know that there's so many people struggling just for that one. And so anyways, now I'm going to get upset again. But yes, I'm rooting for for all of you. Yeah, so obviously just a sort of life-changing result on that. And again, I had zero doubt, zero at that point that a month, two months, three months, we were going to be pregnant. Yes, 100%. I was with you. We are going to be pregnant in a few months. But it turns out, unfortunately... Endo was not our issue. Thanks for listening to Unexpecting the Podcast. Please subscribe, leave a review, and follow Unexpecting Pod on Instagram for info about upcoming weekly episode releases. And hey, DM me on Instagram if you'd like to engage about fertility. I'd love to hear your story because our path might be different, but it doesn't mean we're lost.